thought I wasn't coming, dude. If you need a Bible, raise your hand, and uh, God would be glad to give you one. Take your Bibles and turn to Hebrews chapter 4. Hebrews chapter 4. outside clearing my throat. I figured you'd rather me do it out there than in here. I'm always thinking about it. We mentioned one thing to you. We'll mention it uh, a couple of times. If you'll take your big blue bulletin, the, the main one, that's both campuses relevant. We also probably mention this at the end, but I'll make sure that because I made a mistake like to rectify my errors. On the front of it, it says Easter service. Is that correct? And we're having two here, and it says 9.30 and 10.50. Is that correct? Yes, no? That, that mumbling. I don't know. That's wrong. It's 9.15. And y'all like to come at 11.10 anyway. So what time does church start? Whenever you get here. This is not the Navajo reservation where you just start whenever. 10.50. But we do what we do. Anyway, 9.15 and 10.50 on Easter. My encouragement to you, those who are here all the time, is hard to tell. But primarily, if you'll come at 9.15, usually visitors will come the latter hour. But last week it was... Last year it was reversed for some reason. I don't know. But you make a decision. 9.15 and 10.50. You're probably going to make that decision anyway, despite whatever I might have to say. But 9.15, 10.50 on Easter Sunday. Turn to Hebrews chapter 4. To the delight of everyone, we're through talking about the Sabbath for a while. I heard that. We're going to continue as we, as we continue in our series. We're looking at the rest that we have as believers and that God alone is my rest, my acronym, my rock, my expectation, my strength, my trust. <clears throat> and expectation means hope. And we're looking at in this series the rest of the week that not just when we come together and meet together as the body of Christ and worship together and uh, so encouraging what Peter had to say today. It's, it's uh, uh, so very apropos, and as well as the music and time we spend together in prayer and around the Word of God and in giving as an act of worship. But what do I do with the rest of my week? And what we're going to look at today and next week leading up to Easter, Palm Sunday and Easter, is we're going to look at, as Peter mentioned, Jesus Christ as our high priest. And how special that is, and, and particularly in this arena of understanding rest. The, Jesus, was, we were looking at last week, him talking about being Lord of the Sabbath. And that the Sabbath was meant to help us, not to be a burden. I told you we were going to talk about the Sabbath anymore, didn't I? I lied as usual. But what we're going to look at today, or begin to look at today, is that incredible fact. And I love to um, meditate on just simple little things in Scripture and 
I think sometimes it's important that we just stop when you read something in context especially and realize exactly what God is saying to you. And when you read the Bible and you study the Bible or even something, and I know we joke about it, as simplistic as our daily bread, that God can really use that in your life as the Holy Spirit speaks that to you. Give me an example. Let me encourage you to do something. Every day, if you, whether it's Our Daily Bread or if some other devotional book you might use, or if you're going to a, a, a Bible study class, or if you're studying for a class, like if you're in the, in the Precept Covenant class, for example, you have homework every day. And even on Sundays, as you get up to come to church, and I know in the busyness, sometimes it's just that you thank God you can throw everybody in the minivan or the, or the Suburban and get here. And you, you, God, we made it. And we were here at 11. Randy ought to be glad we made it by 11.10. We, we're here. But prior to coming, maybe in the, uh, like I got up this morning about 6 o'clock and, and I go op start opening blinds and I look outside and all you can see is fog and realize that that will burn off and what a great day it's going to be. And just to stop and say, wow, God, well, thank you for another day. But here's what my encouragement to you, my challenge to you is a little bit. Say, okay, Lord, as I go into looking at your word in this devotion, in this time of, of study, or even on Sunday morning as I head to worship with the body of Christ at Christ Church, let it not be about me today. What do you, God, want Randy to get out of this? What do you, God, want Randy to learn today? What do you, God, want Randy to change? to do. I want my ears to be attentive. Revelation, you read those first three chapters, it keeps saying over and over, he who has an ear, let him do what? That's why you got ears, my wife says. Hear, listen to what the word of God might be saying to you and revel in the fact the book of Hebrews says, consider our great high priest. He is superior Two, you fill in the blank. That's the message of the book of Hebrews. Consider our high priest. He is superior. That's the key word in the book, or better. He is better than blank. Anything else you might think is equal is not. It's inferior. And the message of the book of Hebrews, or the audience that the writer is writing to, we don't know who wrote it, but the audience that he's writing to is Jewish, Jewish individuals who have come, not every single one, but most, to faith in Jesus Christ. So he's writing to Jewish believers in Jesus as the Messiah, and they're really struggling with what they left behind, the law, the Levitical system, the dietary laws, the the sacrifice system, and particularly the priesthood of Aaron, the high priests, and the Levites. That's all, think about it, generation after generation after generation, that's what they had known. And now they come to Jesus, and the writer of Hebrews is saying, you no longer need the blood of bulls and goats. You no longer need an earthly priest. You have 
a superior high priest, and not only that, you are a priest. The beauty of understanding and meditating on who Jesus is, as your high priest, he represents you to God, and he is God's representative to you. Christ in you is your hope of glory. Sometimes we think, we may not articulate it, but maybe you're just going through something really difficult, and you think, nobody understands. There's nobody that understands what I'm going through. And you know what? There may not be anybody on earth that does, but you have a high priest, the Bible says in Hebrews, that understands, empathizes with you totally, completely. We're told in another place, he's tempted in every way you were, are, yet, without sin. He totally empathizes. He understands. I was reading a story this week about a guy who was out of work. He was desperate. He couldn't find work anywhere. And finally, he went to the zoo. He was at the zoo, and he said, you know what? I'll just see. So he goes to and he says, I really need a job bad. Do you have anything? They said, well, we don't we really only have one job. And we, well, it's not really a job. I don't know. I'll lay it out. You see if you want. Our gorilla just died. And we haven't gotten one yet. Do you mind we put you in a gorilla suit, and you just you get in here, and you just act like a gorilla? It doesn't pay a whole lot, but you get to eat all the bananas you want. The guy said, well, I'm desperate. I need a little bit of money. I'll do it. So they put him in the gorilla cage, and he get, he's getting into it. You know, little kids come there. You know, when you take your kids to the zoo, they all love the monkeys. And, you know, they're making faces. He's throwing bananas at them. He said, you know, I need to get that job. And he'll, he'll climb up to the, the little tree thing, and he jump down, and, and he's scaring the little kids. And, and one day he jumps down, and he slips, and he falls over the wall into the pit where the lions are. And he looks up, and there's this lion just running at him, roaring. And he starts screaming, help me, help me, help me, I'm not, I need help. And the lion whispers to him, shut up, man, you're going to mess this up for all of us. <laughs> now, the lion understood, didn't he? I don't care what you're facing, Jesus is whispering in your ear, I got it, I got it. I know you, I know the situation, I'm bigger than what you're facing, trust me, trust me. Turn to Hebrews chapter 3. I love to read what other pastors and teachers say about different things. And I was reading some old stuff by Chuck Swindoll from years ago about the book of Hebrews, and he's talking about, and this is back in the 90s, and he was talking about that the two top prescribed medications in our nation, I don't know what they are now, but uh, I know what mine are, but they were Valium and Tagamet. And obviously Tagamet for, you know, for the ulcers and the burning and just the stress that we're under in Valium, which is, ooh, just be cool, dude, just relax. And here's what he said, quote, The rest that Hebrews describes is quite different. We don't have to take off work to obtain it, nor do we have to drive to the beach. We don't have to spend any money. It's available all day, every day, and it's as close as a prayer. 1 John 4, 4 says, Greater is he that's within me than he who's within the world. The Holy Spirit indwells us. 
is our conscience, teaches us the word of God, and then he's omnipresent. There's no place you're going to go this week that God's not already there. Meditate on that, and then go take some uh, something to relax. He's outside time. He's already in Thursday. I know some of you face some things this week that are really going to be difficult for you. And you may be approaching it with trepidation and fear. Your God is already there. Already there. Not just that he knows what you're going through, feels it, but he's already there and he's in control of it. Now, does that mean it's going to go away? No. You may still have to walk through that valley and walk through that fire, but he'll be with you. He's in charge of it. He's God over it. And he says, just rest, rest in me. God alone is my rest. Rest in the Lord. Wait patiently for him. The meek shall inherit the earth. Their inheritance shall be forever. That's what awaits us. And so in the interim, what we have now is peace, hope, relax. Just pray. What well, the attitude Paul writes to the church at Thessalonica pray without ceasing. It's a mindset. It's an attitude that I'm constantly listening. Okay, Father, what do you want me to do? Where do you want me to go? How do you want me to handle that? I'll do it. Sometimes you just don't know. That's why studying the Word of God is so important. You get the principles that you apply to the individual situations. Sometimes the principle may be God, and, and this is one that I struggle with, a lot of men struggle with, but it is so important, it's so common. Sometimes it's just God wants you to wait. Be patient, Randy. I told you many times, the thing I learned the most from having open heart surgery is be still and know that I am God. You're 46 years old, never, never been sick, other than sprained ankles, never had any problems, and suddenly, boom, you're having open heart surgery. I had no idea what that all entailed, but I do now. And I learned so much about just relaxing, resting. Still struggle with it at times. Resting, letting God be God. Look at the context of Hebrews chapter 4 as we think about Jesus, our high priest, and just resting in him. Chapter 3, verse 17. Let's start there. I said 4, but let's start in 317. Let's set the context. Oh, sorry, 16. For who, having heard, rebelled? Indeed, was it not all who came out of Egypt, led by Moses? Peter was sharing this with us earlier. Now with whom was he God angry 40 years? Was it not with those who sinned, whose corpses fell in the wilderness? They weren't allowed into the promised land. To whom did he swear that they would not enter his rest? But to those who did not obey. We see that they could not enter in because of unbelief. Moses, the deliverer and the mediator, one of the things we're studying in our covenant series is that Moses was the mediator of the old covenant, the Levitical law, the priesthood, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. You read all about it, those exciting books to read. God gave the law to Moses to mediate for the people. He leads them, the deliverer, out of Egypt, bondage. To go to the promised land. I've already given it to you. I promised it to Abraham. 
to Isaac, to Jacob, it's yours. Go get it. They literally are at the Jordan River looking over into the land that God says is yours. And Joshua is now their leader. But they don't go in. Ultimately, Joshua leads them in. But they conquer the land. But why did they not go in? See right here the context. They did not trust God. God had already said, it's yours. I have given it to you. Go get it. You remember when they sent the, the, the 12 spies in? Joshua and Caleb and 10 other spies. And they came back, and the 10 spies said what? Ooh, those people are giants. They're huge. We look like grasshoppers in their sight. Joshua and Caleb said what? God has promised it to us. It's our present possession. Let's go get it. I don't care how big they are. Let's go get it. It's ours. So they had a committee meeting and a vote. And what did they decide? No, nah, we're not going in. Those dudes are big. They don't go in. Ultimately, Joshua and Caleb do. They believed God. They trusted God. That's what rest is about. They literally are looking at it. So now look at chapter 4, verse 1. Therefore, in light the context, therefore, let's learn a lesson from the Jews, our ancestors. Let's learn a lesson that when God makes you a promise, what does it mean? He will do it. How many times has God lied? And the answer is none. So, therefore, what he wants them, the, the writer of Hebrews says, remember this, that there's a promise of rest. Look at Hebrews 4, verse 1. There's a promise of rest. Therefore, since a promise remains of entering God's rest, let us fear, lest any of you seem to have come short of it. For indeed, the gospel was preached to us as well as to them, the ones they're learning from. But the word which they heard, God's word, did not profit them, not being mixed with faith in those who heard it. For we who have believed do enter that rest. As God has said, I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Although the works were finished from the foundation of the world, for he has spoken in a certain place of the seventh day in this way, and God rested on the seventh day from all his work. A promise of rest remains. Look at verse 1. Therefore, since a promise remains of entering his rest, let us fear lest any of you seem to have come short of it. The word promise is really interesting when you understand the audience that he's writing to. Remember, they are Jewish followers of Jesus Christ, Jewish Christians. Today they call themselves Messianic Jews. Notice he says to them, a promise remains. Two things I want you to notice, that it's definite. It's definite. And when God says to you, I make you a promise, he makes you a promise. He keeps his word. So he says to you, there is a rest. The writer of Hebrews says, it remains. The word promise is used in the book of Hebrews 
14 times. That's significant. 14 times in this letter to Jewish Christians, he says, God makes you a promise. There's a promise. There's a promise. There's a promise. Because if you were Jewish, you would always hearken back to the promises. The promises. The promises. You said you believed God, yet the example here, God, through Moses, delivers them from bondage in Egypt, leads them. Now you're at the Jordan. Go. Cross over. Take the land. They don't trust God's promise. Remember, remember, the great promise that everything in the Bible flows from is what God told Abraham. I'm going to give you a land, more descendants than you can count, and a seed through whom everyone will be blessed. Then Galatians tells us that seed was Jesus Christ. The land, to this day, if you heard the speech from Benjamin Netanyahu before Congress, one of the things he focused on, and they always focus on, is what? Our land. Our land. Our land. Never again. To this day, when I was in Israel, gosh, it was uh, January of 1990, and I, I still remember, they took us to Masada. This is not a biblical story. It's a historical story. Masada is a big mesa down by the beds, uh, uh, Dead Sea outside Jerusalem. And in A.D. 70, when Titus came and the Romans and leveled Jerusalem and destroyed everything, there were a group called the Zealots, about 2,000 of them, that went to this mesa, Masada, and they went to the top of it. They survived like three years. When I was there in January of 1990, I don't know if it's still there or not, but they would take you to the top of Masada, and you'd look down, and you could see the stones where the Romans had camped at A.D. 70. And they built a ramp, it's the ramp still there, they built a ramp to the top of Masada, it took them three years, and eventually the Romans stormed up the ramp, and, and all the zealots killed themselves rather than allow the Romans to do it, kill them. To this day, every, every Jew is required, I think it's 18 to 22, to serve in the military. You go through your training, and at the end of your training, you go to the top of Masada, and you say two words, never again, never again. That little bitty country, the size of West Tennessee, is the one country on the face of the earth that has a backbone. wonder why. Because they have to. They're surrounded by enemies. And they still to this day worship the land. It's the land God promised us. Never again. If you listen to Netanyahu's speech closely, particularly at the end, what did he say? If we've got to stand alone, who's he speaking to? The United States of America's assembled Congress, those that showed up. And he said to them, if we have to stand alone, we will stand. Now for us, what does that mean? They stood and they looked at the promised land, and they didn't trust God. Joshua and Caleb did. The rest of them got to wander around for 40 years and not go in until another generation got to go in under Joshua and take the land. So here's what he's saying. There's a promise of rest. For them, it was Canaan. For us, 
it's heaven. So eternally and right now in my life as a believer. So the first thing he says to them is fear not. What he means by that is, look at verse 1. Let us fear, lest any of you seem to have come short of it. Here's his point. It's so apropos for us today. Literally what he's saying is, be careful, be cautious to examine your faith. If you stood with the children of Israel after they were delivered from bondage in Egypt, and you go with them, you're standing at the Jordan River, they've seen the Red Sea party, they walk across on dry land. They've seen God drown Pharaoh's army in that same Red Sea that they walked across on dry land. You've seen him give you, provide for you, take care of you. You saw the incredible way he delivered you. That's your God. You're standing there, you're looking at the promised land and say, no, I don't think we can do that. Here's what he's saying. Look at that example and learn from it. We read it. What kept them from going? It was not trusting God. And here's what he says. You don't have to fear. You trust. What he's saying is fear not coming short. Examine your heart. Are you just giving your faith lip service or are you giving it life service? Am I just saying I'm a Christian? To these Jewish people he's writing, and the Holy Spirit would say to us today, are you just saying that you're a Christian or do you trust God? Are you trusting in Jesus Christ as your Savior or are you just giving it lip service? Is Jesus your life? Philippians 1.21, for me to live is Christ. For me to live is Christ. And to die is gain. Is that your life? Or is your faith just based on, well, you know, we go to church. And I prayed a prayer somewhere. And I walked down an aisle. I went to BBS. I went to camp. Look at your heart right now as you sit here. Examine it. Fear not. Jesus took your penalty. You trust him. Don't come short. Are you trusting in yourself? Are you trusting in what you can do, what you have done? There are none righteous. No, not one. All my righteousness is as filthy rags. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. But in Jesus righteous only in him we don't have to fear your faith has to be in the gospel look at verse 2 for indeed the gospel was preached to us as he writes as well as to them as well as to them Israel the gospel here in the context is the promise of rest Canaan was the shadow Jesus is the substance just like we talked about with the Sabbath but the gospel didn't profit them because it wasn't mixed with faith I love the idea of mixed with faith. It's so, so it's a beautiful illustration of this. The idea there, not mixed with faith. In Greek, was a process by which food becomes nutrition. Here's the idea. I can lay out a beautiful banquet before you, but until you take it, ingest it, and let the saliva and the other stuff in your body turn it into nutrition, does it benefit you? That's exactly what the phrase means in Greek. God has laid out this beautiful picture for you of rest. 
It's yours in Christ. Here's your promise. You don't have to fear. You put your faith in the gospel. Ingest it. Let it do its amazing work in you, and it will benefit you. It didn't profit them, the ones who didn't put their faith in God. It didn't profit them. I went to church Sunday after Sunday after Sunday my whole life till I was 16. And at age 16, I was born again. And it began to profit me. It began to do its work in my life. It began to change me, mold me, shape me. There's that promise. And it's for believers. Look at the next verse, 3. We who have believed do enter that rest. We who have believed. And he goes on to show you, quoting in 3 and 4, Genesis 2, 2. God did the work, and then he rested. God did the work, and then he rested. And then you see some warnings. Look at verse 5. Again in this place, they shall not enter my rest. Back to verse 3. They shall not enter my rest. All of these are quotes, those are quotes from Psalm 95. He quotes again back in chapter 3, verse 7, uh, 11, verse 15. He quotes Psalm 95 several times. Written 400-something years after this. And here's the idea. After Israel didn't go into the promised land. That rest wasn't just for Israel at the Jordan River to cross into the promised land. That rest was for David who wrote Psalm 95, and that rest was for you as you read the book of Hebrews to the original audience and for us today. So your neighborhood that you live in, the people you work with, people in your family, you can look them in the eye and say to them, there is a promise of God that you can have rest. Tuesday of this week, I had to officiate at a funeral. And the husband of the lady who died is a man that I, he's 96 years old. We were joking when she passed away. Literally, they were eating dinner, and she just died at the table. And so I go to the hospital, and, and I walk in and see, and, and see Jack. And Jack's one of my heroes. And I love, I love this man. And 96 years old. And I asked him, I said, Jack, how old are you now? He didn't, he didn't know. His son-in-law, who's his dearest friend in the world also, was in the room. Jack said, I'm 93. And his son-in-law, Dave, said, Jack, what year were you born? You know, what, you ought to see the way he talked. He was beautiful. He said, what year were you born, Jack? 1919. I said, he said, Randy, do the math. And I said, you know, no one told me there would be math. I said, Jack, you're 96. He goes, use a, a word. He said, no, I'm not. But I love Jack. And, and not just that I'm doing his wife's funeral, but as we wait, lay his wife Liz to her final rest, Jack needs rest. And I know his Jesus will give it to him. you got to know Jack. Up until he was about 90, the guy had no body fat. He would enter the, he would enter the Senior Olympics and win every event he entered because nobody else could compete with him. And I, I began to joke with him. We used to play golf together. He would beat my brains out at age 90. 90! 
He never picked his ball up. He never did this like we do. We never, he never would say, there's water in the sand trap. I'm not playing the ball where it lies, where we're throwing it out in the grass. He was a stickler for the rules. And still would beat our brains out. It drove us crazy. But I just loved thinking about it, being with him, talking to him. Now you begin, I mean, the man's 96 years old. I know one thing, he'll get rest because God promises it to him. He promised it to me. He promises it to you. It's there. Look at Hebrews 4, the next thing. We're going to do this one and then quit today. He gives them a picture of rest. Picture of rest. Look at verse 4. Verse 5, excuse me. And again in this place, they shall not enter my rest. Verse 6. Since therefore... It remains that some must enter it, the rest, and those to whom it was first preached did not enter because of disobedience. Again, he designates a certain day, saying, In David, today, after such a long time as it has been said, today, if you will hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. For if Joshua had given them rest, then he would not afterward have spoken of another day. He gives three pictures of rest. Sabbath, we've already dealt with at length. I'm not going to go back and do that. Then he mentions David. Interesting. He talked about Psalm 95. 500 years after Israel was conquered by Joshua, David is writing about this rest. Here's the point. When he says a promise of rest remains, it's not physical. It's spiritual. But the point is when you relax and you rest in your Jesus spiritually, it also helps you physically. It's good for you to take time just to revel in who your Jesus is, your high priest who intercedes on your behalf, who brings God to you and takes you to God. You can just relax because of who he is. I love the picture of Joshua. He is the conqueror of Canaan. His name is the same as Jesus. It means Jehovah saves. You see, he led them into Canaan. He conquered Canaan. But that wasn't the end. You see what he says there in verse 8? If Joshua had given them rest, and he would not afterward have spoken of another day, there remains therefore a rest for the people of God. Here's the idea. Joshua was a picture. Jesus is the substance. Remember we talked about shadows, substance? Joshua was the shadow. Jesus was the substance. The ark was a shadow. Jesus was the substance. The Sabbath was a shadow. Jesus is the substance. Moses was the shadow, the deliverer. Jesus is the substance. You see the picture? Where do you go for your rest? Tuesday when I do Liz's funeral, she's not having to worry about working with this life anymore. She's gone through her rest. She's gone home. Gone home. That's what God gives to you. That's what Jesus gives to you. Peter quoted one of my favorite verses earlier. 
There's one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. He's the great high priest. We are priests under him, sharing God with our world. He's the high priest that saves us and then tells us. You see, the priests, the Levites, work the temple. We are the temple of the Holy Spirit. We work in the temple, and then we go out in the world to share who our high priest is. And as we enter into a time of communion today, I want you to think about that. My high priest is Jesus Christ. How special that is. Bow your heads with me. Father, we do pause before you as our God. Because you're real. You're not something we created so we could get by. Not our crutch. Not our choice of religion. You are the God. The great I am. Who spoke to Moses. Who proved it to Pharaoh. Who showed the children of Israel. Who walked in the, the fiery furnace with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Who hung on the cross and said it is finished. Who rose from the dead. You are God. We want to celebrate that Jesus, that our high priest is that God that we can relax, we can trust, we can have faith. We don't have to fear. We put our faith in you and rest in you. I pray that for each believer here, that we would rest in Jesus Christ. And for somebody here who's not a Christian, not a believer, they would say, Jesus, I want to go beyond just knowing about you. I want to know you. Forgive me. Save me. Today, right now, I want to be a believer. In Jesus' name.